Welcome back to the Armchair Trader podcast. And uh, this week we are back in the world of cryptocurrency and digital assets, which is an extremely hot topic at the moment. And so as a consequence, um, we're very lucky to have Jeff Gao on the program. Uh, He's the new CEO of Cypherpunk Holdings, and he's very kindly joining us all the way from Australia today. Um, So welcome to the podcast, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Um, So basically, I thought we'd just start off um, talking a little bit about Cypherpunk Holdings itself, um, what it is. Can you give us just a a brief summary and overview of of Cypherpunk, the company? Sure, uh, no problem. So Cypherpunk Holdings is a a listed entity uh, listed on the Canadian Stock Exchange and also dual listed on the uh, OTC markets in the US. We are a um, crypto-themed investment holding company, but uh, otherwise actively managed. And we have a number of different uh, uh, themes uh, that we we employ in putting together a uh, portfolio of assets which we believe will uh, serve investors to the extent that uh, it is designed to um, to beat and exceed uh, the performance of uh, underlying uh, cryptocurrencies that investors would otherwise be able to purchase uh, in their own retail accounts. Uh, and the way we do this is um, we have essentially three layers of, uh, of assets. One is uh, private equity and venture capital deals. These involve um, bespoke and privileged deal flows that uh, retail investors wouldn't otherwise have access to, either from a sophistication perspective or from a capital perspective. And these some, some of these are quite esoteric in terms of the amount of analysis and the level of analysis that you have to do to, to understand them uh, before you can onboard them. Uh, we also, of course, hold cryptocurrencies as well. Uh, most importantly, Bitcoin, which has uh, primacy in our, in our portfolio. And then we actively uh, manage that basket uh, in a manner that uh, beats buy and hold. Um, and then finally, we have uh, what I call operationalized assets, including IPv4 addresses, uh, which we lease um, for quite a decent yield. And then also um, uh, Bitcoin mining assets as well, which we have deployed uh, across North America, utilizing uh, renewable low-cost energy sources. And the cypherpunk in in some of your previous communications as a company, you've you've stressed that part of the sort of rationale of cypherpunk has been investing in the digital economy and specifically in uh, privacy assets and in the premium that will be placed on privacy assets going forwards. It's very much a a play on the on the future of finance and the future of, of digital privacy. Can you, can you tell us what, what you mean by, by privacy assets? Cryptocurrencies, uh, by virtue of their constitution, the fact that they're built on public ledger systems, uh, which we are commonly known as blockchains, these are uh, systems that are deployed uh, on a public domain. So they're visible, they're transparent, they're accountable, and they're auditable. That said, that transparency also has downside in that um, uh, with sufficient analytics um, and uh, with uh, sufficient time having passed by, if you were to analyze certain wallet addresses and uh, piece together behavior, you may be able to, uh, with a fair degree of confidence, uh, identify uh, particular users 
or at least get pretty close to you know uh, a, a particular user so as a result of that uh, a number of um, different technologies uh, have been explored since the advent of um, blockchains in particular Bitcoin in order to try and obfuscate uh, some of that identifiability and uh, this is only one category or one line of effort towards ensuring that there is greater privacy without necessarily compromising uh, transparency although there is always a you know balance there in achieving some sort of an equitable compromise but uh, some of the privacy assets that we've invested in uh, especially around wallet tech and storage uh, is really designed at, um, at preserving uh, the identity of the um, of the individual or the entity uh, that is undertaking those transactions on what would otherwise be a public uh, ledger system. It's it's an extremely it's obviously an extremely interesting and fast expanding area. It's something that we can see a lot of investors are interested in now, and um, a lot of them are basically traveling down the same roads a lot of them are accessing the market through cryptocurrency um, wallets the a lot of that interest in turn is being driven by by the price action um, a lot of investors are seeing with some of the major cryptocurrencies and and every day really bitcoin and ethereum are both in the headlines so this is this is creating um, a fantastic amount of interest and, and we're, we're seeing communications coming into us pretty much every day from investors asking asking about um, how they get into this kind of market what's your as someone who's much closer to the market than we are what's your what's your feeling on on crypto prices at the moment I mean I know that we've got the opportunity to put this question to you as someone in in the industry or close to the industry what's your feeling on on where the bitcoin price and the ethereum price are going at the moment and and do you think that this is um investors going into these assets because of inflation or do you think it's it's more just the the crowd is is interested in the fact the price keeps going up well um, look that's a very interesting question and it's uh, there's a quite bit there so i'll see if i can um maybe take it step by step and just divide it into into several chunks and try and address each one of those uh, chunks in turn. So I guess the first part of your question is, you know, where are essentially where are prices going given where they are at the moment? Um, Bitcoin and Ethereum, for example, being at all-time highs. I think it's important to be not non-dogmatic in these types of situations, whether you're an investor or a trader or even just someone who's a spectator looking to get into the looking to get into the market and get some exposure. Uh, what's important to us here at CypherFunk is that um, as custodians and as stewards of shareholders' wealth, that we play this accordingly, appropriately, in a manner that is non-ideological, but uh, rational and uh, realistic and certainly practical. So it is important, I think, from a thematic and from a thesis perspective to have an overall direction. And... Uh, on that, you know, we have privacy-themed uh, principles in place that drive our main investment allocation decisions with, of course, uh, professional money management best practices overlaid on top of that. In terms of managing our crypto assets, however, we want to achieve a number of objectives. One, we want to, broadly speaking, stay long so that uh, we don't miss the upside. 
Number two, we want to ensure that um, any crypto assets that we have on our books don't simply play the role of a pet rock where they just sit on your books. Because if they do that, then all they're doing is taking advantage of the price appreciation, which uh, retail investors would otherwise also have access to if they held it in their own accounts. But it will also be subject to the aggressive drawdowns that uh, plague um, the, the crypto market uh, as a result of its inherent volatility, which, by the way, looks a lot like commodities. And this is actually one of the reasons why I got into the crypto market in the first place. Because um, like any diligent investor, and I, um, I try to consider myself uh, as, as a student of uh, investors who are diligent, uh, who have uh, traveled this path before me, I accumulate gold on the side and I do it incrementally uh, and uh, iteratively. But um, it is very clear, especially over the past um, three to five years, that uh, cryptocurrencies in general and broadly speaking have taken the shine away from gold as a as an inflation hedge rightly or wrongly this is simply the market voting with its uh, with it with its money and as you can see that gold despite its uh, recent rebound having touched i think 1630 don't quote me on that and having recovered is still really having trouble leaving the 1800s um, in, in terms of price action uh, whereas crypto on the other end uh, has a uh, has essentially traveled uh, tens of thousands of percent, right? If you, for example, look at a, a three-year time horizon where gold is essentially a flat line, even slightly negative, depending on where you start that, that, that chart. So in terms of what the market thinks would be the better inflation hedge or whether the market's just suffering from FOMO or just want to be where the action is, much of gold's shine has been taken away and that's, uh, that, that's, that's being loaded into crypto. Uh, there are still investors in gold, uh, but it is very much playing a supporting role in this uh, in this uh, inflationary story for anyone who buys into that narrative. And then on that, the goal of uh, Cypherfunk Holdings as a steward of investor wealth with respect to management of cryptocurrencies is to ensure that uh, we profit on the rip as well as on the dip. And... Uh, the types of partners who we work with and the types of structures that we put in place is to ensure that one, if it rips, we do not miss the upside. And two, if it dips in a trending bear market, that the extent to which we suffer drawdowns is in no way as aggressive as a pure play hodl position, buy and hold position. Which means that at the bottom of that, of that cycle, we're going to have a lot more capital in reserve to go all in back into the market and ride that wave right back up much more forcefully than someone who simply bought and hold passively. And within Cypherpunk Holdings itself, you actually have quite a considerable amount of, of cryptocurrency. Are, are you able to give us um, just a short summary of, of how much crypto you have at the moment? Yeah, roughly speaking, and uh, we, we publish these numbers as well. Roughly speaking, we have um, around about 400 Bitcoin and uh, around about uh, 500 Ethereum on our books at the moment. Uh, these fluctuate uh, at the margins as a result of um, uh, buying and selling action uh, as per our risk managed management mandate. Um, and uh, 
so so that is the extent of our treasury at the moment uh, that said our mandate is such that over time our bitcoin position will only grow relative to our altcoin position and when i consider ethereum to be in the altcoin basket uh, it is also exciting um, to me and then to the other members of the investment committee that we're looking at other opportunities with uh, with other altcoins as well in terms of their utility and what we can do with that. But that is um, th th that is a, a working play. Um, so I can't talk too much about that uh, on this occasion. But uh, I think the market will soon hear something from us on that front in terms of um, some some of the uh, utility tokens that we will look to take advantage of but uh, we're actively investigating those opportunities at the moment and we're seeing a lot more interest um also i mean it's, it's a bit of a saga but but um we've seen recently launches of um um the long-awaited bitcoin etf um in the us and, and we've seen similar a similar launch in the australian market where you are um the there have been some other listed opportunities um for for investors to get exposure to cryptocurrency here in the uk those have been more limited because the regulator has has banned um sort of otc derivatives based on on crypto prices um and in fact also also crypto etfs that may change um but i wanted i wanted to get your view on this um particularly since we've seen these these um uh, recent launches into the market w what's your opinion do you think we'll be seeing more such launches and, and certainly that the asset flows into them um, have been massive it looks to me like they're they're here to stay yeah um, and uh, Stuart just want to say uh, thanks for the opportunity um, that uh, armchair lended to, to myself uh, recently to write an article on that topic um, which is now available on your website but uh, I just want to talk about uh, these li listed opportunities in, in a little bit more detail because they're not all created equally. Uh, but just broadly speaking, I think they are good news. They're moving the industry in the right direction. It represents a step up uh, towards maturation. And uh, more access is always better than less access. Um, in general, there are two types of listed funds. One where... Uh, they trade and manage uh, positions uh, in the underlying cryptocurrency, um, but not necessarily holding the currency or, or the, the spot itself, um, perhaps trading in the futures market or using derivatives. So that's one type of fund where they try and give you notional or, or the equivalent of notional exposure to the underlying. And then the other type of fund is where they invest in uh, blockchain and crypto-like equities. Uh, for example, the Australian fund uh, launched by uh, BetaShares. And then there is a fund in the US. Um, the, the, these types of funds, they invest in um, companies that are investing blockchain and crypto assets. So for example, Coinbase. Um, Square, PayPal, anyone that has uh, crypto on their books or otherwise have um, R&D projects or in fact uh, commercialized projects uh, relating to or of blockchain, uh, these funds invest in. Uh, but otherwise, uh, the, these opportunities you can, you can, you can buy your, yourself as a retailer uh, because they're listed 
And if you go into the uh, fund details, the fund breakdown, you look at their you know, top 10 or top 50 holdings, um, you can see exactly uh, what those proportions are. And if you wanted to, you can replicate that. Uh, but of course, a lot of investors don't have the time or, or the opportunity to do that. So the fund is a um, convenient one-stop shop for them to get that exposure and be a fire and forget solution. In terms of the, um, the uh, Bitcoin ETFs that recently launched uh, in the US, uh, the likes of Valkyrie, um, uh, Van Eck, which will soon come online. Uh, these uh, types of funds essentially uh, don't invest in uh, the Bitcoin spot market. Uh, they invest in uh, Bitcoin futures, which are products uh, regulated by the CFTC um, and the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, uh, simply because the US regulator, the Security Exchange Commission, uh, deemed it necessary to uh, monitor and play uh, these opportunities close to the chest from a regulatory perspective. Um, and so that's why, as a result of a lack of confidence in the, spot, the, in the underlying spot market, in terms of how loosely or unregulated they are, uh, the, the um, next best option to, uh, in the interest of progress to ensure that there is access to the general public within the US, um, but at the same time ensure that there is that sufficient regulatory overlay from the SEC's perspective, uh, that uh, this would be uh, an, an interim compromise until, uh, until um, something better comes along. But uh, having said that, the SEC chairman, who was appointed in February of this year, Gary Gensler, is very much a fintech proponent uh, and a tech progressive. Uh, but of course, he has two masters to serve. One is his passion and what he believes in. Um, and I think that's pretty clear based on his track record prior to being announced as chairman of the SEC. But he's also got his other master in Washington, D.C. as well. So it's, it's not an easy job for him to play. Uh, he can't look like he's taking sides. But I think uh, what's being done at this point in time is real progress. Um, and uh, it's important for investors to focus on what hasn't uh, necessarily materialized at this point in time, but what has yet to materialize going forward. The other thing I wanted to ask you about was was crypto gaming. I mean, this is this is crypto gaming assets. This is obviously very new as well. We're we're, we're starting to see a lot more um, investor activity in the NFT space and in in, in gaming related tokens. Is that is that going to be an area of interest for Cypherpunk going forward? Do you think that's, that could be a growth area and a sort of legitimate market for investment? Yeah, I think it's an area... Well, I know that it's an area for Cypherpunk Holdings, and I believe it's an area of interest for like companies as well, simply because the advent and the emergence of these passive funds in crypto have forced us to lift our game and move up the value chain. So it is definitely an area that we're looking into, and I'm doing um, analysis from a first principles approach to essentially analyze some of the deal flow that's coming through uh, through our door and making uh, appropriate recommendations to our investment committee as to whether a certain opportunity will go or no go. So again, that is um, that is a working progress at the moment uh, with respect to Cypherfunk and what we're doing in terms of beefing up our portfolio. Uh, and we hope to perhaps, um, you know, 
once we've done that due diligence, um, make announcements sooner rather than later. But just with respect to crypto gaming, that's um, that there's again a couple of articles that I'm writing for you guys. One which um, will be uh, released imminently. The first part to, to the story of crypto gaming and how it came about, looking at the metaverse to begin with. And then next week, uh, a, a second installment uh, to that journey. But I just want to say, crypto gaming is revolutionary. And again, representing a um, maturation uh, in, in the industry because it, um, it tries to rather successfully, uh, although not perfectly, align with underlying economic activity and reward centers that are important uh, for participants. Um, and really, before you want to look at crypto gaming, you really have to think about you know, this idea of the metaverse, uh, this terminology that seems to be kicked around uh, as of late, especially after what Facebook has done to try and adopt that, uh, that, that phraseology for its, um, uh, for, for its rebranding. But what the metaverse essentially is, is um, you take the physical environment, that we're all familiar with, and you overlay it with digital technology in order to enhance the social experiment uh, and, and various social dynamics that are at play, uh, when, whether it be for leisure and entertainment or for work. So the metaverse is really a coming together, a melding of technology and um, the underlying economics of what we do in the real world to deliver a radical and revolutionary new experience. Um, and, uh, you know, simple examples of that include augmented reality and uh, bionic augmentations that enhance a, um, a, a user's uh, experience, you know, sense of hearing or sense of sight for the blind, for example. Those are augmentations where you create digital renditions of the real world for that particular user uh, in order to uh, make up for uh, a, a sense that was otherwise lost in that user. And of course, you can take that a little bit further and uh, think about how information is shared uh, between people and how information can essentially be visualized to tell a story in a more concise and coherent manner and how that can be built into everyday life and everyday experiences. So that is essentially the metaverse. And, uh, you know, how does that lead into crypto gaming, for example? Well, you have to think about what people do when they play games. When you play, you know, a single player game, for example, an immersive single player game where you sit down, you go through the whole story arc of it and you complete challenges and all of that, that satisfies a certain reward center within us. Um, in that, um, you know, we get to do it in our own leisure, at our own pace, and we get to really uh, allow ourselves to be immersed in the story of that game. Not unlike that of watching a movie, but you become an active participant as well, because your actions have consequences and influences within that game environment. With crypto gaming, it's more of a, it's not a single player experience, it's a player versus player experience, where you're actively competing against other players. So there is a difference in the way you experience that, in that you've got to put in a lot more effort and it's real time. Uh, it is highly competitive. Uh, you know, you can't just pause the game and, you know, get yourself a drink or a burger or a bathroom break. You've got to be there 
and um, it also means that it can be quite taxing so it can feel like work uh, so you can imagine that uh, you know if you treat that as a normal game a normal single player game that's got all those other immersion factors and the players is expected to pay for it and they're not getting anything in return and then on top of paying for it they have to you know spend all those hours at it um, to not be compensated for that effort kind of really doesn't make sense and so this is where you know the advent of blockchain and cryptocurrencies and crypto assets really helped to revolutionize that space where essentially said if you participate um, and you enjoy playing as well right but then you get something out of it just like how you know we enjoy working you know I love my job but I get paid for it as well right so you can enjoy gaming at a competitive level and be compensated for it and there's real economics behind that and it's all based on underlying economic activities that made sense in the physical world in lieu of the metaverse but now with the metaverse it becomes enhanced and it becomes much more frictionless in terms of how those reward centers are satisfied especially at a, at a financial and monetary level that is essentially crypto gaming in a nutshell and those are some of the things that we look at when we analyze and evaluate opportunities put in front of us to see whether you know what is being written down in that white paper or in that pitch deck essentially aligns with you know the natural currents of economic activity and, and positive economic incentives that would exist in the real world but then gets enhanced and accentuated through a crypto gaming i find that i find it actually really fascinating this because it does seem to be a almost a massive sort of change in emphasis I, I speak as someone who who you know as a teenager started gaming on the old spectrum plus machines you know not in a month of sundays could we have imagined when we were doing that back in the 80s that the the, the technology and the experience would have already reached this level this quickly a lot of this stuff was really science fiction when i was a teenager what what really interests me here is is what you're saying is is people will and people potentially already are being rewarded for actually playing games they can actually earn a financial reward for this and that this activity in turn is generating its own currency basically these 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 games are creating can create their own individual tokens which in themselves are exchangeable and and am i right in also saying that i know there's a lot of publicity around the sort of top 0.01% of players in that community but that this could actually be much more broad based so that even you know um you know a teenager in his summer holidays invests a lot of time in playing a game he could actually make as much money doing that as he could delivering newspapers, for example. Yeah, you're, you're, you're on the right track. Um, but uh, you don't want to necessarily um, start talking about this at the implementation stage. If you just step back and look at it from a, princip from a principles perspective, uh, th th there are these activities that are being undertaken by people and they're putting real time and effort into it that is of value to someone. So there is... A supply side to the equation in terms of the time and the effort that you're putting to doing this thing and then there is a consumption or a demand side to that equation where someone or somebody out there looks at this and go that is valuable to me and I'm willing to pay something for it that is essentially the kind of transaction we need to make this whole thing work 
now in technology notwithstanding if that relationship if that reality does not exist crypto gaming would not exist it is the mere fact that that reality does exist and it is very real it is real not at the uh, as you say 0.001% percentile level but at a much more broad and general level which is precisely uh, why crypto gaming actually works assuming that it is implemented correctly and there's a lot of teething problems out there but uh, they're fast becoming solved um, and we know that for a fact because of how quickly some of these games have taken off um, despite you know challenges in making sure that these reward centers are appropriately mapped and attributed in a commensurate way but um, you know if you look at competitive gaming and esports in general where you do look at the top 1 or 0.1 or 0.01 percentile of participants that has a, an entertainment aspect to it in terms of attracting viewership pay-per-view uh, it has an as it has a promotional aspect to it in terms of when you see these players play and you get excited about it you're more likely to buy the game and then there's of course the gambling aspect to it and all those aspects are retained within the broader crypto gaming market. But the broader crypto gaming market has an additional feature, which is uh, extremely pertinent, but would not otherwise appear in those eSport applications at the top tier level. And that is the work that we put into these games, which we play out of enjoyment, but somehow get paid for it as well, it becomes valuable to somebody else and then you really have to ask well what is that value that you that they see how is it accumulated and how is it transferred well the value is essentially this the more you play that game the better you get at it as an amateur uh, who may spend two or three hours a day at it after work because you enjoy playing it anyway and now you're getting you know a little bit of kickback out of it you know as you become better at the game what also improves? Well, your character in the game improves, whatever they may be. You might be a pilot flying a ship. You might be a, a, you know, a soldier with particular gear on you, you know, bow and arrow or sword. Whatever those in-game assets are that allow you to experience the game and move through the built environment of the game so that over time you build experience, that experience becomes accumulated and aggregated within the assets uh, that are tied to your character, your avatar in the game. And those assets and their value are embedded and embodied within what we call non-fungible tokens, NFTs, which are programmable smart contracts, which we can you know, program and code them to do whatever it is that we want them to do. But in this particular case, it is to keep a record, to keep a tally of people's efforts as they make their way through these games, battling other players, you know, doing whatever it is that they do to accomplish milestones within the rules and confines of the game. And it is that aggregation of value which um, gets uh, stored in these NFTs and which get federated through open exchanges where people can actively buy and sell these assets, right? Because you watch that other player and you know that this is a good asset that they're carrying with them because they're using it to beat those other players under those specific situations, right?
that wasn't present <coughs> in prior games, including you know something that I just covered in an article that uh, hopefully hopefully you guys will get to publish before the the weekend arrives. Pokemon Go was very, extremely popular uh, a couple years back, and uh, Pokemon Go was uh, what I consider to be one of those first metaversal type games that essentially bridged the gulf between the physical and the digital the physical and the holographic whereby you know you're a player a human player and you go around uh, collecting these mythical creatures that you can capture train and then use to battle against uh, other players essentially cockfighting but bloodless and virtual and uh, you know you, you, you capture these creatures you train them and you have to spend money training them within Pokemon Go. You have to spend real-world money to convert to these uh, funny money currencies within the game that you then use to train these characters. And then as you use these characters to battle other players and their characters, your characters, if they win, gain experience. And, uh, you know, even if they lose, they gain experience as well, but just not as much. And then, um, and then you know, you get better over time. And your characters get better over time. And over time, you end up with these really, really powerful Pokemons if you're good at the game or at least better than average. But then what? They're locked in the game. You can trade Pokemons, but you can only trade Pokemons within the localized environment of that game. You can't convert it to real world money, or at least not very easily, unless someone comes along and willing to pay you for your account and get access to your characters. But there's no active liquid market for it. It's, it's, all, it's a barter economy. And so all of those hours that you've spent playing Pokemon, and it's not cheap either. You have to pay a monthly subscription uh, to, 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 be to have access to the game, right? Especially if you want to have the full gaming experience. There are freemium tiers that you can um, play on to just participate. But it's, it, it's not a, a complete gaming experience. The design of Pokemon Go is to ensure that um, if you want that complete gaming experience, you've got to pay to play. And so you can imagine you're paying to play, you're spending hundreds of hours building up your Pokemons, battling other players. All of that gets locked within these Pokemons, which do have value to you, but otherwise don't translate into the real world. So that nexus, that critical nexus is broken, right? The nexus between economic activities that are of value and then that's on the supply side, and then that crucial consumption and demand side where you can translate it to something that unlocks value because it matches with someone else's willingness to pay. That last leg was missing with these what I call version 0.1 alpha releases of the, of the metaverse, uh, of which Pokemon Go is one example. And that problem, crypto gaming is able to solve uh, thanks to the uh, utility tokens that are available through blockchain technology. So playing devil's advocate here, if you're somebody, someone like Cypherpunk Holdings, you have, you know, you can see that this is a fast evolving market. You can see there's an opportunity, and obviously, I don't want you to give 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 away too much of the secret sauce here. But how does somebody like yourselves, um, with a large portfolio of digital assets and and a large amount of um, existing crypto holdings, how do you go about? monetizing something like that um what's what's what would be the strategy of getting exposure to that market it's more than just about getting exposure getting exposure is uh is, is a, a first degree consideration for us but uh, equally important 
is about being able to play in that space, to have a say in that space, and to influence changes made in that space. And we do that by selecting projects and identifying founders who are willing to be partners to us in a relationship that is more than mere transactional, more than us just allocating a part of our capital to that project and holding it passively as you would do you know, in an exchange traded fund, for example. We're more than just about that. Every project that we onboard, we vet very, very closely. I'm on a first names basis and conversational basis with the founders. And I get to, um, even if we don't have the expertise within that particular niche domain, be able to, for example, participate at the board level just to work out what's going on and, and have some say, have some influence, perhaps in some of the, uh, if not day-to-day, -day, but the governance decisions that are being made uh, within that particular project. Um, so that is how we intend to uh, engage with, with this industry without necessarily having the bespoke expertise that is required uh, to perform well within every aspect, right? We essentially outsource that to the uh, the founders of these projects who we work with, who we invest in. But um, more importantly, it's about understanding as we onboard more and more of these projects, how do they each work? You know, how do they, what is the uh, formula that they use to try and better match effort with consumption, and, and that, that nexus, which is crucial for monetization. So, you know, one of the, I guess, barriers to entry for newbie crypto gamers is the amount of upfront investment they have to make to onboard, you know, in-game assets uh, through the purchase of uh, NFTs just to get started, right? Because you need a character, you need to have, you need to equip that character before you can go into these arenas and, you know, compete. So it's about identifying ways to unlock that, which is to say, I know you're a decent player, but you don't have a lot of capital because, you know, you're in a third world country and uh, you, you are, you know, you, you, to come up with 500 or 600 or 1,000 uh, US dollar equivalent in your own currency just to get started in this game isn't really realistic. So is there a way, is there a, you know, like a microfinancing arrangement that we can use to sponsor you, to get you started, to train you up, to make you good at this. And then there's some sort of a profit sharing relationship or arrangement. You know, Do we have anyone in the, in the industry that can build the infrastructure to identify who these players are that show promise? What are the necessary training regimes to, to have them uh, functionally competent within the rules engine of a particular game. And some of these games aren't just, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. Some of these are team-based, right? So you've got to work well with um, three or four other guys within that competitive arena. And then, you know, within a particular setting, right, because different domains uh, within that same built environment of the game require different uh, strategies and, and different combinations of equipment, just how, you know, you have defense and offense in American Gridiron, right? You've got these different phases. Um, you know, what would be the best assets to equip these this group of players in that particular setting? So to be able to identify a portfolio of NFT assets 
that would do, do you well in encrypting your, your players to identify who those players are so that you can invest in them and to build a platform and the training regimes and, and the, the um, I guess the knowledge base that you would need to make the players that you're on board excel in what they need to do. There is a, there is a lot of science behind that uh, which uh, we, we're starting to come to understand and to uh, measure in a, in a reliable way. And we seek to, you know, as we work with more and more projects in this space, synthesize those learnings so that we become better at identifying future projects and, and better at working with, with those uh, founders as partners in those future projects. That is, I mean, that is absolutely fascinating. It just demonstrates just the sheer diversity, really, of the number of different opportunities that exist in in that space for for cypherpunk. It's it's almost like um, in the conventional market, you're basically it's almost like a sort of macro strategy. You've got so many different opportunities, so many different new um, emerging markets to actually um, take advantage of there. Yeah, because um, you know, for, for some of these guys. Um, this is real money. This is as good money as they would otherwise make in their day job or their night job. And this could be their day job. But it's, it's a good pairing because it allows them to relax, allows them to do what they love to do, to, to participate in their passion, and it rewards them for their effort. Because it is genuine effort and it's worth, some, worth something to somebody out there. Um, there's a willingness to pay as long as you can find it and make that market. And uh, I'm, I'm feeling really positive about crypto gaming, even if I'm not a crypto gaming, gamer myself per se, because just of how time poor I am. But, um, you know, we hear a lot about this fourth industrial revolution. And I think, you know, crypto gaming has been so pervasive um, it's touched so many lives, even if you're just a spectator, not a player, that it becomes a lot easier to see, to understand, and to appreciate just what that fourth industrial revolution feels like and look like, to have it happen right in front of your eyes, sometimes to yourself immediately or otherwise to someone that you know, to have that unfold, to, to, that unlocking of value which would not otherwise be available uh, in, in, a, in, in a world prior to the advent of these technologies, both physical and process-wise, that brings all of this together and makes it possible. And that is manifesting and distilling itself in a number of different lines of effort. And crypto gaming is, uh, is, I dare say, one of those really obvious and prominent and pervasive ones that's starting to really show some green shoots. Thanks very much indeed for that, Jeff. I know we're, we're running out of time, I'm afraid, but um, I know we're going to be um, getting you back on the podcast in the near future um, because there's still a lot here to talk about. So um, what I would also suggest is any listeners, um, if there's anything, that, any questions you want to put to Jeff as well, he will be coming back, um, um, hopefully coming back on with other guests as well um, to talk about the, the whole sphere of digital assets um, and, and also progress on cypherpunk holding. So please um, get in touch with us via our Twitter feed at Armchair Tweets or, or indeed uh, contact us directly on the website 
um, if there's anything you want us to discuss on, on future podcasts. Um, but thank you very much indeed, Jeff, for your time today. That's, that, that has been really fascinating. And no, thank you, Stuart, as well, because I know that uh, Armchair Trader hasn't traditionally operated or advocated in this space. So for you guys to take this leap forward and, and you know, to place your trust in Cypherfunk Holdings as opposed to uh, some other operator in this, in this industry uh, is something that we haven't overlooked. So thank you for placing trust in this partnership. And uh, I'm confident that uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do each other well um, in ensuring that uh, the message gets out to the general public to create that informed awareness so that people can make an informed decision uh, in terms of what, where they want to be and how they want to participate and how, how they want to play uh, in, in, in this space. And uh, I at uh, Cypherbank Holdings and uh, yourself at uh, Armchair, I think we have a real a material role to play in that education and awareness piece. Thanks very much indeed, Jeff. Pleasure. You've been listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. Make sure you visit our website, www.thearmchairtrader.com for your daily dose of financial markets news and sign up to our free newsletter there.